on this 25th Sunday of Ordinary Time, I want to offer a reflection on the Gospel and the other readings from the Sunday's Mass. In the beginning of the Gospel, um, Jesus sort of teaches his disciples and prophesies what is going to happen to him during his passion, death, and resurrection. The Son of Man is to be handed over to men, and they will kill him. And so we know, because we're familiar with the story of the Passion, uh, the, the ones who really orchestrate Christ's capture and torture and death are the Pharisees, group of small group of sort of religious leaders in the community there. And so they're often the bad guys that we see in the Gospels, this sort of click of individuals who are so focused on following the rules and the laws, sort of in a sense to really earn God's love, and then putting all kinds of burdens on others to manipulate them and to control them and to maintain their own power, but all really just wanting attention and respect looking down on others when they do not seem to live up to the standards that they have for themselves. And so we know sort of the basic issues of the Pharisees. And and normally, though, whenever we talk about the Pharisees, we sort of reflect on what is the, the root sin of that Pharisaical attitude of sort of looking down on others, of thinking yourself better than others, on this perfectionist following of rules and this exterior way of living religion, most of the time people will say pride, thinking yourself better than others. And I'm not saying that that doesn't play part of it, but from my own experience in dealing with pharisaical attitudes and also in looking at scripture, I think the answer is something different. We can sort of kind of look at and understand what this answer is by really trying to understand why are the Pharisees so opposed to Jesus? Why do they hate him and there's some sort of maniacal hatred of wanting to bring the Lord down? And we get a hint of it in the first reading. Whenever we had the Book of Wisdom, and here we have the, the enemies of the just one. And they want to destroy him because he sets himself against our doings. And so this is the attitude of the Pharisees, and clearly can understand it. They hate Jesus because he poses a threat to them, to their popularity, to their authority, to their influence in the community. He's a threat. And so as a result, as a group, they, they criticize him. They talk behind his back. They gossip. They plot in order to bring him down. And it culminates at the end, of course, with his trial in front of the Sanhedrin. And this just outsized rage at Jesus, at who he is, and the histrionics displayed in the trial, all there to blame and accuse Jesus, to point the finger at him, not at themselves, of course, and ultimately lead to his destruction. And so whenever we look at this and their behavior, though, 
I think even deeper than just simply this perceiving him as a threat is that ultimately they are jealous of Jesus. It's the second reading. St. James says to cast out all that jealousy, that envy from among you. The Pharisees are jealous because Jesus is getting all of the attention. He is a threat, but they are wanting all the attention to themselves, and they're jealous of the attention he's getting. And so over the past year or so, in meditating on the role of the Pharisees and realizing that it's not pride that's the root of the problem, but it's actually jealousy, actually something deeper as we'll see, that it hit me that if we're going to really understand the Pharisees, that they are like the stereotypical cliques of high school girls, the popular girls who dress a certain way, who are very exclusive, who only act a certain way, who look down on others, who gossip and who pick and who ridicule those who are not like them. <clears throat> They're like the mean girls from that Tina Fey movie, or if you really want to go further back, uh, really retro, they are the Heathers from the movie from the late 80s. Perfectionists, manipulative, exclusive, gossipy. Why? Because ultimately, they are jealous. Jealous that anyone else would get attention. So they are going to do what they can to build themselves up to bring the others down. And I've seen this enough, not only in high school girls, but sometimes even in grown men and grown women, that the real root is not pride, is not thinking themselves better, but a deep, deep insecurity. A deep insecurity in their identity, a deep insecurity that they are loved and cherished for who they are. And so as a result, they want to bring others down in order to build themselves up. This is the gossip. This is the jealousy. This is the comparison. This is that compete and defeat attitude. If I'm going to defeat you, then you don't pose a threat to me. You can't get the attention that I want or I so desperately need. So the Pharisees aren't some sort of a, a cabal of these prideful egoists. They're a clique of insecure, whiny, manipulative, hateful high school girls who are deeply, deeply insecure. Deeply insecure. Maybe because they're divorced parents or victims of some sort of neglect or abuse, but ultimately not knowing their identity, figuring that they have to do all this thing to earn love, to earn respect, and no one will be able to compete with that. And so if we could look at it, it goes back to that deep fundamental wound that we all share as the root of all insecurity. Is a lack of surety of the Father's love, that somehow we have to earn the Father's love. That we are not secure in our identity as beloved sons and daughters. And so this figure of the Pharisee in the gospel, though, is contrasted with the other prominent figure is the child, the child that Jesus picks up and puts in the midst of his followers. And reading this, it, it made me think of a chapter from a book. 
Some of you may have read it. It's called Abba's Child by Brennan Manning. There's a chapter in that book, and the book's about coming to know God as our, our Father, our Abba, and, and, and putting off the imposter and coming to accept his love. There's a chapter called The Pharisee and the Child, where he spends the first part of the chapter describing the attitude and the perfectionism of the Pharisee, a lot of the stuff that I described in our reflection for today. But then he says this, and this is on page, my glasses on so I can see better, uh, page 68. In sharp, con- quote, in sharp contrast to the Pharisaic perception of God and religion, the biblical perception of the gospel of grace is that of a child who has never experienced anything but love and who tries to do her best because she is loved. When she makes mistakes, she knows they do not jeopardize the love of her parents. The possibility that her parents might stop loving her if she doesn't clean up her room never enters her mind. They may disapprove of her behavior, but their love is not contingent on her performance. For the Pharisee, the emphasis is always on personal effort and achievement. The gospel of grace emphasizes the primacy of God's love. The Pharisee savors impeccable conduct. The child delights in the relentless tenderness of God, unquote. I think he sort of sums it up right there. The, ph- the child is secure in his identity because he knows he is loved by the father, that he's safe, that he's protected. He puts all of his trust in the Lord, unlike the insecurity and the fear that is present in the Pharisee and the, the insecure and the cliquish individual who gossips and is jealousy, who at the root is not secure, who's often very, very deeply wounded. But instead of dealing with the wounds, instead of opening it up to the healing power of the Lord, they're going to put those walls up and they are going to attack and they're going to push away in order that they don't have to face their own pain and their own shame. And so the author then goes on to quote at length the great saint who is the saint of spiritual childhood, St. Therese. And so he says, in response to her sister's question of what she meant by remaining a little child before the good God, Therese said, and this is sort of a real summary of her little way in the, the theology of spiritual childhood, it is recognizing one's nothingness, expecting everything from the good God, just as a little child expects everything from its father. It is not getting anxious about anything, not trying to make one's fortune. Being little is also not attributing to oneself the virtues that one practices, as if one believed oneself capable of achieving something, but recognizing that the good God puts his treasure into the hands of his little child for it to make use of whatever it needs to, whenever it needs to. But it is always the good God's treasure. Finally, it is never being disheartened by one's faults because children often fall, but they are too little to do themselves much harm. And so the solution to the problem of a pharisaical insecure attitude is adopting spiritual childhood, that radical trust and confidence in God's goodness, even accepting our own imperfections and knowing and being secure that the Lord still loves us. So how do, we, how do we 
we see that pharisaical attitude in us, how do we move beyond it? And in a certain sense, we can clearly know what do we need to do for the spiritual childhood of that greater radical trust, but to overcome that deep insecurity uh, that, that tends towards perfectionism, that exclusiveness, that jealousy, that, that insecurity. Uh, I'm going to give you something that really, from the book, uh, an insight that Mr. Manning offers is something else that sort of marks out the difference between the child and the Pharisee. He says, the child spontaneously expresses emotions. The Pharisee carefully represses them. The question is not whether I am an introvert or an extrovert, a sanguine or subdued personality. The issue is whether I express or repress my genuine feelings. John Powell once said with sadness that at an epitaph for his parents' tombstone, he would have been compelled to write, Here lie two people who never knew one another. His father could never share his feelings, so his mother never got to know him. To open yourself up to another person, to stop lying about your loneliness and your fears, to be honest about your affections and to tell others how much they mean to you, this openness is the triumph of the child over the Pharisee and a sign of the dynamic presence of the Holy Spirit. Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. That's 2 Corinthians 3, verse 17. And so again, that, that contrast, that here is the, the, the Pharisee who is deeply wounded, who needs to know the Lord's love, who's hurt, but instead of expressing that to the Father, of asking for healing, of telling others how they truly feel because of their shame and their insecurity, they put the walls up. They try to be perfectionist, but still, they don't allow themselves to feel what they're feeling, to sort of lean into the tenderness of heart. But the child is the one who's very much willing to express how they feel, and sometimes in a very real way. The child, that inner child, is deeply in touch with emotions. And so that is the challenge, to not let walls and shame and insecurity stop us from finding that necessary healing, the bringing our wounds to the Lord, of expressing these feelings. This is how I feel, good or bad and allowing the Lord's grace to get in there, to cast away any insecurity so that we can live in the light and freedom of the children of God, of know the Father, knowing the Father's love for us, and living out spiritual childhood. Amen.